Please be seated. And good to see you all. If I haven't met you yet, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Father Aaron Damiani, and um, love to meet you after the service. I invite you to turn to Acts eight in your bulletins or in your Bibles. Acts eight verses twenty six through forty, and this is our um, final sermon in our in our series called Growing Up Sacramental. The mission of our church is to build and to be a spiritual beacon church that makes the gospel visible, tangible, and personal for the people of Chicago. It's to build a spiritual beacon church, but before that, it's to be a spiritual beacon church, each one of us, um, that makes the gospel tangible for Chicago, personal for Chicago, visible for Chicago. It's going to take all of us in order to do that. And that's really what evangelism is directly tied in with. Evangelism is a direct participation in the work of the gospel and the mission of our church. Evangelism refers to the act of representing Jesus and his church to people who are not yet in relationship with him. And there's a number of ways to do that. Actually, many things count for evangelism, like eating and shared activity and building relational bridges. And many times it does end with people coming to Jesus and being baptized in his church. And it's a beautiful thing. But it takes a long time. And so along the way, you need stories. And that's what today's gospel text, or today's New Testament reading, it's a story about evangelism. If you still have, um, if you have, as many of us have had, hangups about whether or not evangelism is a good thing to do, um, if you have fears about it, misgivings about it, I want to encourage you to listen to part one. Um, which was about preparation and just addressing some common myths that keep us from engaging in evangelism. Um, This is part two, and part two is about perspiration. And it takes place in the desert, so likely all the participants in the story are perspiring. Um, And you might be perspiring too, given the, you know, the the temperature of this room. Um, And then we're going to talk a little bit about next steps as we end. What are some next steps to take? If you are ready to perspire, if you're ready to get in the game, get in the action, um, what that would look like. This story has four characters. We're going to take them one at a time. The first character in this story is a man named Philip. Philip. Um, uh, Acts 8, verse 26, and the first part of 27 says this. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And Philip rose and went. Who is Philip? Here's some background on on Philip. This is not the disciple of Jesus um, that we read about in the Gospels. This is a different Philip. He is a young man with a heart for the marginalized. If you read his story, you see that he is a cultural bridge builder. He really cares about people in marginalized communities that have a different culture than his own. Um, So he, uh, for instance had a gift of sharing the good news with people who felt like they were outcast and the outsiders. I don't know if you remember the story uh, earlier in Acts when uh, they set up a program to take care of all of the widows that were coming into the church, and they were looking for trustworthy, reliable men who could lead this ministry so that the apostles could focus on prayer and preaching the word of God. Well, Philip was one of the men that they selected. He was a trustworthy guy, a leader, someone who loved the widows. Soon after, uh, Philip was a survivor of uh, state-led violence. There was some state-led violence that came to the city where he was ministering to these widows. 
And um, what happened was instead of immobilizing uh, Philip, the trauma that he sustained actually um, brought him even closer to the religious outcasts of his day. So persecution came to Jerusalem and Philip went to Samaria, which was considered at the time a completely untouchable, unholy place that faithful Jews don't go to. But that was the first place that he went. As soon as the persecution came, he risked his life by going there. And in the process, he preached the good news. He, he uh, preached what, what was true about Jesus, which was that Jesus came, he's God's king, he died on behalf of the sins of the world, and that you can be saved, you can have eternal life in him, and that actually you can be a part of his church. There's no separation now. He preached that message, and in the process, he cast out demons, and he healed the sick, and he actually interacted with um, a very problematic man named Simon, not the Simon Peter, but a different Simon who thought that he could purchase spiritual power with money. And um, so uh, Philip loves the outcasts, and he loves the marginalized. And now what happened is, in this story, the angel of the Lord interrupts that ministry and says, Philip, now I want you to go somewhere else. Verse 26, pick up, get up, go to a desert road south of Jerusalem. And he doesn't tell him why. He doesn't tell him who he's going to. It may have sounded like a random opportunity or a random command from the angel of the Lord, like a dangerous desert road. Just go to a random desert road south of Jerusalem. It's not even a village. So it would be sort of like, you know, hey, go to the lakefront path where people are walking. You know, who are you going to meet? I don't know. Or go to uh, the last stop on the red line all the way down to 95th. And just that's where I want you to go. And well, like, why? Um, Philip is all over the place purposefully. God has him strategically placed in different areas. There's going to come a time where this young man will settle down. He'll get married. He'll have four daughters, all of whom will prophesy says in Acts. Um, But right now, he's on the move. He's mobile. And it maybe on the surface looks random. But in God's plan, it's very strategic. Samaria, desert road. Then he goes to Egypt uh, or Azotus. And then finally Caesarea, which is where he settles down. Um, The Spirit is designing Philip's life as a young man. It's always changing in his younger years, but his confidence, what happens is that no matter where he goes, his his location changes, but his confidence in the good news of Jesus does not change. And he shares that wherever he's at, whether he's on the road or whether he's settling down, he's preaching the same message and it's the same Lord. He has the scripture in in his heart and in his head, and he's actually ready to share with his mouth and with his life. I think Philip is a a model of sorts for those of us who have lived through all of the upheaval of the last few years. Those of us who came into the pandemic saying, yeah, I love Jesus and I want to follow him and have a confidence in his power to change lives. And yet we find ourselves in a little bit of a time of upheaval where we're not sure why God is placing us in the city, why he's placing us in certain areas. Some of us moving to the city, from the city, or within the city, and there's just so much upheaval and there's so much change, I think we can look at someone someone like Philip and say, this is someone who's a type of a model for us, that nothing in our life is random, that no move is random, that no placement is random. Um, 
And wherever we go, we can just be confident that the Lord has us there purposefully and that our confidence in the good news will be used by him. That's Philip. And so we're going to follow Philip down this road, this road that leads south from Jerusalem to Egypt. And second, we see a second character, which is the Ethiopian eunuch. The Ethiopian eunuch. Verse 27, Philip rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace. You could also pronounce this Kandaki. Um, she was a, uh, this is actually a line of queens in uh, Ethiopia. She was queen of the Ethiopians who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. So here's a very interesting person that Philip is about to meet. The Ethiopian eunuch is a man of great status. He works as the chief financial officer of a major African nation. He rides a chariot, he has a driver, and he has access to his own personal copy of the scroll of Isaiah. So here is a man with means. Here is a man with status. Here's the man with significant power. He has uh, the means to travel the globe. He has the backing of a storied African dynasty. And there's reason to see that this Ethiopian eunuch, despite his status, despite his wealth, he was also a great uh, man of great maturity and a man of great humility. Um, verse 27 says, he's come to Jerusalem to worship. Now, this pilgrimage would have been extremely costly and very exhausting. Um, you know, days of travel in the desert road, days of travel in the heat, a lot of money. What's more, um, his status as a eunuch would have placed him, when he got to Jerusalem, on the outside of the assembly. That according to Old Testament law, he would not have been able to fully enter in to the assembly of the Lord. Would have been on the margins. Yet he came Nevertheless, to worship, he knew that and he came regardless. He came looking for God. He wants to know God. Here is a man who is willing to pay a personal sacrifice to know God, to discover God, to worship God. On the chariot ride home, he's reading the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, reading it aloud, trying to understand it. But his understanding comes to a limit. There's a ceiling on it and he needs a guide. Now, maybe you're here, and there's something about the Ethiopian eunuch that you can relate with. You, you want to know God, but you feel like you don't fit the mold. You feel on the outskirts, like there are other people who know more about God than you do. And so sometimes you feel disqualified from worship. Sometimes you feel disqualified from reading the Bible. Sometimes you feel disqualified from prayer or, uh, or just spirituality in general. Sometimes... Um, people have this experience where they experience cultural differences with other Christians, and it makes them feel like they're unworthy of Christ or they're unworthy of Christ's church. And because of that disadvantage, it can get discouraging. You can feel like you want to give up. Even though you earnestly want to know and understand how God can make a difference in your life. Um, so if you can relate at all with the Ethiopian eunuch, I hope that this story here gives you some encouragement to keep pressing in, to keep going. Um, so we have Philip. We have the Ethiopian eunuch. Now, the third character in this story is really important, and that's the person of Jesus. The person of Jesus. Jesus is the uh, third character in this story. We're going to see him act indirectly, though. He's going to act indirectly through his 
Holy Spirit, which speaks on his behalf, we're also going to see him speak through the scriptures, which also speak about him. Verse 29 says this of Acts 8. The Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. Go over and join this chariot. Philip is finally in proximity with the chariot containing the Ethiopian eunuch, and Jesus wants these two men to meet. And so he guides Philip to the chariot so that Philip can guide the Ethiopian into salvation. Go over and join this chariot. He speaks directly and clearly through his spirit to Philip. Now, in response, you could imagine, if you're in Philip's shoes, how would you respond to the prompting of the spirit if he said that to you? There's a chance, I think if I were in Philip's shoes, I would feel some trepidation. I would feel some fear, some hesitation. Um, Philip is, after all, on a strange desert road. He's walked for days, waiting to find out why he came to this place at all. And now the spirit of Jesus is prompting him to take a seat on a chariot with a high-status foreigner um, stranger um, who he has never met before. And it would be reasonable for Philip to feel fear, right? Maybe fear of rejection or fear of a stranger or fear of the unknown. This is a constant reality in evangelism and outreach, um, that uh, we're going to have an opportunity. Sometimes the Holy Spirit, as we attune ourselves to what the Spirit of Jesus is saying, sometimes he's going to initiate, he's going to ask us to initiate a conversation with someone about spiritual things or about their life or someone we've never met before, and we're going to experience fear of rejection or fear of the unknown. Um, so, uh, yet Philip was willing to press into those fears if he had them. And as a result, Philip was given by God a divine encounter that was way beyond any sense of coincidence um, that we read about this morning. Abraham Lincoln once said this, courage is not the absence of fear, but going forward with the face of fear. And he continues, it often requires more courage to dare to do right than to fear to do wrong. It takes more courage to dare to do right than to fear to do wrong. And so Philip here, maybe with a beating heart and a perspiring forehead, runs, he runs up the desert road to the chariot. Verse 30 tells us, Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he, the Ethiopian eunuch, said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Notice that Philip here starts with a question. He takes time to understand this man and discern where he's at spiritually. Um, and this reminds me of the line from the prophet Isaiah, this whole encounter where he says, how beautiful, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. Isn't it just beautiful to see how Philip uh, really pursues, how beautiful are the feet of Philip that is like kicking up you know, clouds of dust on his way to the chariot. How beautiful, really, is Philip's question? Is the mouth and the voice that asks the question, do you understand what you're reading? How beautiful was the heart of Philip uh, to extend himself beyond his comfort zone to reach someone who uh, was all alone but searching for God? Verse 32 uh, continues the, the dialogue here. Now, the passage of Scripture that he was reading was this. This is from Isaiah 52. Uh, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. 
And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The Ethiopian eunuch is intrigued here. This is a passage of Isaiah, and it speaks poetically about a man who knew great suffering. Um, This man went willingly and silently to his death. Not only is this man that the Ethiopian eunuch reads about, not only is he on the margins of society, he's being led into the slaughterhouse of society. He was denied justice. He was humiliated. And along the way, he kept silent even as his life was snuffed out and taken from the earth. The Ethiopian may have left Jerusalem already, but he's still on a pilgrimage. He's still searching. He's looking for clues in the scriptures about how to be right with God. And something about this passage grabs at him, and he wants to know more. He wants to go deeper. He wants to understand not just the words, but what the words mean and who they are referring to. And he needs a guide for this. Verse 34, the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does this prophet say this about himself or about someone else? Verse 35, then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Jesus acts in this story through his spirit by guiding Philip, and then he's going to speak through the scriptures, which he always does if we're open to it. Jesus reveals himself and his plan through the words of the Bible themselves. Right now, around the world, this is how many people come to faith in Christ. For the first time, they read the Bible with a Christian who already knows Jesus, and that process helps them know the person of Jesus and how to respond to him. There's a a series of questions called Discovery Bible Study, and it's, it's used all over the globe, and it's centered around three basic questions. You open the scriptures, and you ask three questions. Number one, what does this passage reveal about God, which is what the Ethiopian eunuch is asking? Number two, what does this passage reveal about us, about human beings? And that's probably where Philip came in and helped guide him of, like, there's a reason that he went to his death willingly, silently. It was for us. It was for our sins. And then, but number three, what should we do in response? What should we do in response? This is a very very simple set of questions that unleashes powerful results when you open the scriptures with someone who's ready to know more. Not everyone is may take a thousand meals before you're ready for discovery Bible questions. But when you get there, it's powerful. Sometimes it takes a while for someone to have the interest and enthusiasm of the the eunuch, of years of praying and eating and serving together with someone. Um, Sometimes the heart is open. And so Philip shows him, this suffering man went to death so that in the process, he could atone for your sins, my friend, forgive you, save you, make the world new, become God's king, and give you an overflowing sense of life now and forever. Everything you were searching for in Jerusalem, my Ethiopian friend, can be found in Jesus. Jerusalem's wonderful, but you actually never have to go back there again. Your pilgrimage ends with this man who went silently to his death to forgive your sins, the man who hung on the cross willingly, lovingly, for you the benefits. It happened once and for all. The benefits accrue and are present to you now on this chariot. 
You're not on the outside anymore, my Ethiopian friend. You are made one with the church. You are made one with Jesus, one with his people. I imagine Philip unrolling the scroll, like down from Isaiah 52, down to Isaiah 56, which says, let not the eunuch say, I am a dry tree, for I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Would you like to have that everlasting name, my friend? Philip may have asked. I would like that very much. We can hear the eunuch saying. To believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will receive a name and an inheritance that will never be taken away. I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. The eunuch likely said something to that effect. That's what many people said before they were baptized in the book of Acts. This is where some evangelism ends. It ends with a profession of faith, of I believe. And that's a really beautiful thing and a good thing. Jesus can meet everyone anywhere, in any chariot, in any part of the world. But I'm glad that there's still one more character in this story that we haven't yet covered. She is prefigured here, hinted at, but still present. She seals the bond between Philip, the Ethiopian eunuch, and Jesus and really does represent that symbolic, tangible overlap between heaven and earth, and that is the church. Verse 36, as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? For a while, the chariot was like just lurching forward for a while. They're reading the book of Isaiah. They're talking about it. They're conversing. Maybe they're praying. The sun blazes, they sweat together, and the perspiration and tears of joy may have mingled together on each man's face. But along the way, the Ethiopian man spotted some water, water in the desert. It could have been a pool. It could have been a stream. Either way, the Ethiopian eunuch wanted to receive the gift of baptism. Verse 38, he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water. Philip and the eunuch, and he, excuse me, baptized him. Now, here's a beautiful picture of the church. A new Christian confessing faith in Christ. Alongside a faithful witness of the gospel, down in the waters with him. We don't know if this was sprinkling. We don't know if this was immersion. We don't know. We just know it's water, and they're in it together. But then you also have the presence of Jesus, making the Ethiopian a new creation by his spirit. Now, evangelism and the church belong together. They belong together. Sometimes they've been separated, and sometimes evangelists have felt like on the outside of the church, which is a tragedy. Tragedy. A travesty. And a, uh, anyway, you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes I make up words along the way. In Acts 8, they go together evangelism and baptism, they're paired together. The church not only equips and sends witnesses, she also administers the sacrament of baptism. The church is, for us, the water in the desert, where someone can say, here is water, why can I not be baptized right here? And um, what happens as a result of this baptism is that um, this leads to more sending. This actually, the gift of baptism leads to more evangelism. Um, Verse 39, when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. Now, and it could have just been, you know, a non-supernatural leading 
of Philip away, or it could have been a Elijah's sort of situation where he's just all of a sudden gone. We don't know. Um, but eventually the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing, went on his way. Where was he going? Well, he was going to Ethiopia. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Now, several church fathers claimed that this Ethiopian eunuch devoted himself to evangelism in his home country. And why wouldn't he? He went away rejoicing. He was a baptized Christian. He's part of the body of Christ. He believed Jesus is Lord. By the fourth century, we do have historical evidence of the church there in um, Ethiopia, which is now modern-day Sudan. The borders have changed somewhat. But the land where the Ethiopian eunuch was from, guess what? There was water in the desert after he was baptized. Praise God. Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch went on their way evangelizing, rejoicing um, in Christ and his church. And now both are in heaven. Both have lived their story, and they are now with the Lord. They're part of the company of angels and saints that worship that we worship with. We join in the heavenly liturgy with them. And uh, now it's our time. Now it's our time. They can't evangelize anymore. They can worship. We can do both. Jesus and his church are still part of the action. And every evangelism story we enter will involve Jesus and his church in some way or another. We both have a role to play. Now I'm praying that in coming days, in coming months, in coming years, you have an opportunity to chase after chariots and to open the Bible with people and sponsor them at their baptism. I pray and hope for many evangelism stories. People need to hear the good news. It's important. People need to hear the loving intention, receive our loving intention to share the good news. A lot of times we don't know where to even start. So I want to give you a little bit of uh, training right now. Do you have a pen? Okay. Get out your pen, get out a piece of paper if you want to do this exercise. Um, this is something uh, that um, uh, someone who's really trained us in evangelism, Father Rick Richardson, um, uh, came up with this tool, or at least taught about it. It's called Frank and Bless. Frank and Bless. Frank is spelled with a C, so probably French. Um, Frank and Bless. Frank refers to friends, relatives, acquaintances, neighbors, and coworkers who are currently outside of Jesus and his church. So if you can think of a friend, a relative, an acquaintance, a neighbor, or a coworker that doesn't know Jesus, write down their name. Give you a minute for that. Let me tell you about bless. Bless refers to beginning with prayer, like praying for someone to know Jesus in his church, listening with care, so like listening to someone's story about their life, uh, about their spiritual history, about their own personal history, eating, eating with them, eating snacks, eating food, uh, getting together for lunch, for dinner, having them over, barbecues, etc. serving with them, serving them or letting them serve you, or even sweating with them. We've had some sports on the beach recently, that counts. And then finally, S is sharing your story. How did you come to know Jesus? What do you know about him? And that's where sometimes this Discovery Bible study comes into play. Now, um, doing any of the bless activities with any of the Frank people counts as evangelism. Um, it, uh, 
one couple I heard about decided to do barbecues for their neighbors. And they would just do every night. They, would, they lived in a very ethnically diverse neighborhood. They wanted to build bridges. They wanted people to know each other because people didn't really know each other. So like, we can bless our neighbors by doing barbecues in the front of our house rather than in the back of our house. Now, for four weeks, um, only one couple showed up besides them. And so they were really discouraged. Then on the fifth week, um, a lot of people came. Almost the whole neighborhood came. And then a few weeks after that, people started sharing significant things about their life with each other. Um, and these uh, people who began to do the barbecue said, I think it's only a matter of time before we begin having spiritual conversations. But it all started with some dogs on the grill in the front yard. Um, I know of another um, uh, situation with uh, a bunch of you actually recently playing sports on the beach. And uh, recently there was some activity happening on the lakefront where about half of the people were from Emmanuel and half of the people were not from Emmanuel. And there were numbers exchanged and people playing basketball with many of you were being invited to the church picnic. And, um, and it wasn't an intense proselytizing space. It was actually a place where wholesome supportive community was being offered as a way of blessing our neighbors. Uh, this is what it looks like to perspire, to sweat, to get into the mix with people like the Ethiopian eunuch who could be either very hardened to Jesus and his church, which means we're just going to love them for a long time and let the spirit do the work, or someone who is like the Ethiopian eunuch, ready for salvation and ready for baptism, or anywhere in between, anywhere in between. We can trust that like with Philip, the Lord will sovereignly guide us. If we're open to him, if we're open to his leading, he will strategically place us um, with people who he is designing uh, to, for us to meet them like he was designing for Philip to meet the Ethiopian eunuch. Uh, I want to invite you to perspire in evangelism together, not just to talk about it, not just to think about it, not just to have opinions about it, but to perspire in evangelism together. It takes... Uh, it takes perspiration, but it's only a matter of time before the sweat of blessing our neighbors gives way to the waters of baptism. And by God's grace and by God's design, we will see it in our day. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.